electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Build Back? Build Back Better in 2022? Can the president's signature social policy legislation make it past Congress? Representative Pramila Jayapal on the agenda. People want to see better jobs, higher wages, and fair taxation. And that's really what Build Back Better does. And China attempting to contain an Omicron surge before the Olympics and the Lunar New Year. CNBC's Eunice Yoon. There still hasn't been any confirmation on the exact source and also how much it's really spread in the community. And I think that's what is uh, worrying uh, the government here. Plus, Fed Chair Jay Powell's reconfirmation. Should lawmakers own stocks? And the government is helping schools ramp up COVID testing. Finally. It's a little too late. I mean, I'm glad they're doing it. It's Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs will come to order. Take two in a Senate hearing for his confirmation to a second term. Raise your right hand, please. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth? Fed Chair Jay Powell made the case. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. That the U.S. economy is healthy enough for a tighter monetary policy. The economy no longer needs or wants the very highly accommodative policies that we've had in place to deal with the pandemic and the aftermath. So that's what that's really about. We're, we're really just going to be moving over the course of this year to a policy that is closer to normal, but it's a long road to normal from where we are. Powell said he expects a series of interest rate hikes this year, along with other reductions in the extraordinary help the Fed has been providing during the pandemic era. Now, this is tricky because many of the questions from both sides of the aisle yesterday centered on inflation, running at close to a 40-year high. Price stability is half of our mandate. There's no basis in the law for preferring maximum employment over price stability uh, or vice versa. They're equal. However, uh, at different times, one of them is farther away from its goal, and, and that's the one we need to focus on a little bit more. Sometimes that's maximum employment. Sometimes it's inflation. I'd say now it's inflation. As always, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew kicks things off. And Chair Powell also told the committee it would take a long period of expansion, uh, economic expansion, to achieve a very strong labor market with high participation, Joe. So um, it's interesting to see how the market's uh, taking his comments. There seems to be a little bit of a shift, I think. And and we just was thinking about what uh, Senator Toomey said yesterday. He's always thought price stability Mm -hmm. was important and that the Fed can only do so much for for. Uh, the unemployment rate when you get down to levels like this and who knows what's going on. The dynamics in the employment market are so hard to figure out right uh, right now what's influencing things. In my mind, it's not really realistic to achieve the mandate of maximizing employment unless you have price stability, right? If there's a 
a world in which the value of the dollar is volatile, uncertain, if inflation is a big problem, you can't possibly maximize employment. So the one thing you can do, especially with, we got all the inflation data coming this week, maybe there's this slight shift to the other aspect of the dual mandate and the price stability. But the market seemed to take it okay because it wasn't that, that horrific, uh, uh, some of his comments. Well, uh, well th this yeah, is uh, interesting with, with uh, yeah, go ahead, Beth. Sorry. Well, the, the one thing I was thinking with that is, you know, yesterday he was trying very hard to explain to the senators that inflation is a bigger problem for poorer people and that if you keep inflation in check, that in itself will help you out an awful great deal in terms of the jobs market picture as well. What we saw at the end of the last very long, longest in our history expansion was that as the labor market tightened, the benefits began to go more broadly to those at the lower end of the income spectrum and to groups that have been more marginalized from an economic standpoint. To get the kind of uh, very strong labor market we want with high participation, it's going to take a long expansion. We can see that participation is moving only very slowly. And to get a long expansion, we're going to need price stability. Right. And so in, in a way, high inflation is, is, a, is a severe threat to the achievement of maximum employment and to achieving a long expansion that can give us that. But you got to remember, he's also there waiting for them to um, vote on conf confirming him for a second go round. So it may not have sounded quite, you know, he, he wasn't going to he wasn't going to go in there and as be, be as aggressive as he might have wanted to be in terms of what they might be saying at the FOMC meeting, too. So the market took some comfort in this. But I don't know that he would have spoken quite as clearly as he might think that inflation is a problem and that they may have to move a lot of times this year. Yeah. <clears throat> that was the other Senator Sherrod Brown uh, and talking about, you know, don't yeah. forget, you know, not everybody is Wall Street. So as you're raising rates to try to help Wall Street, I, I don't I didn't really understand that because the if you stay easy for too long, not only do assets get marked up for Wall Street and those people get rich, but also inflation at six or seven percent is not hurting the high end as much as it's hurting the lower end. So. Both of those factors seem to go against everything that the senator was the point that he was but trying you, to make. You I, can see so just with mortgage, mortgage rates increasing. Easy. Mortgage, mortgage rate. rates. Yeah, but right. mortgage rates stay, pick, picking up so rapidly just in the last week and a half. Um, that's been one picture of it. You're also going to see credit card costs go up. I mean, higher rates is good for the banks. And, and you will see reactions to that saying, wait a second, you're going to be fleecing the poor on this. They'll get hurt on these things, the people who need the help. Yeah, the but at this point, do you but really broad, think he's not going to confirmed if he says that? No, no, no. Well, I, I just think he might want to speak a little carefully. I, I think he's going to get confirmed no matter what. I think that's the case. But I also think you want to tread lightly when you're walking into this stuff. If you saw him before Congress yesterday, if you saw Fauci before Congress yesterday, it's, it, it can be pretty taxing to, to sit there and, and take the attacks and the questions. Yeah. Certainly can. Uh, that was that was something uh, something to behold. The Biden administration is uh, taking some new action to increase access to COVID-19 testing in schools around the country, with the goal of increasing the number of tests available to schools by uh, 10 million per month. As part of the effort, the White House uh, plans to distribute 5 million free rapid tests uh, to K through 12 schools uh, each month. It will also set aside lab capacities to support an additional. 5 million PCR tests uh, per month. The Department of Education and the CDC will also work uh, with states um, to help between schools and local uh, testing providers. Thanks. Could I use it's this all a little too late, ago? right? 
<laughs> yeah, it's a little right. too late. If, if, I mean, I'm glad they're doing it. In the, in the case that, we, yeah. that this either persists or we have additional variants, it's great to Correct. get this in place. Right. But it's, it's not going to help the current, the current wave. Exactly. The Canadian province of Quebec plans to impose a tax on citizens who refuse to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The premier said the tax is necessary because the unvaccinated, who make up 15 percent of the population, are taking up roughly half of the acute care beds in hospitals and have become a drain on the health care system. The tax is still being written, but it will include an exemption for those with medical reasons not to get vaccinated. Quebec is also putting in new rules to make life more difficult for the unvaccinated. In fact, starting next Tuesday, proof of vaccination will be required to enter government-run stores that sell alcohol or cannabis. That might be the most effective tool yet. You can't buy pot or any alcohol if you're not vaccinated. I kind of like that. I kind of like that as an incentive system. There is new momentum on Capitol Hill for rules to prevent lawmakers from owning or trading individual stocks. While in office, Ilan Mui joins us now with more. Good morning, Ilan. Yeah, Joe, Congress likes to talk tough about reigning in Wall Street, but now lawmakers are divided over how to curb their own trading. And the calls to ban stock trades and ownership altogether are coming from some surprising corners of Capitol Hill. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is in favor of this idea. I'm told he consider new rules if Republicans take the House in November. Now, on the other side of the Capitol and the other side of the aisle is Democratic Senator John Ossoff. He plans to introduce a bill this week that would require lawmakers, their spouses and dependents to put all their assets in a blind trust or face penalties. Now, this mirrors an existing bipartisan bill in the House called the Trust in Congress Act. Moderate Democratic Representative Abigail Spanberger is leading that push. The goal of this bill is to say you have no control over where your stocks do or don't go. You have no control of whether or not you know, you're buying or selling stocks to benefit yourself with information you know because you're a legislator or any of the votes you may take on the House floor are not meant to enrich your stock portfolio. Now, one of the biggest opponents of this idea is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who has defended congressional trading guys as just part of a free market economy. Should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual stocks while serving in Congress? No, I don't know to the second one. Um, any, uh, we have a responsibility to report in the stock. But if uh, people aren't reporting, they should be. Because uh, this is a free market and people, we are a free market economy, they should be able to participate in that. Back over to you. Wow. I know, I saw that. I thought about the Seinfeld episode on the bizarro world. Um, I'm trying to make sense of it. So, so, so Speaker Pelosi, in this case, is citing free market principles. That's just so many other cases yeah, where she, I, I she listen is. to her and I'm wondering where, where, is, where is the free market, uh, you know, sort of zeitgeist for, for what she's talking about in almost every other situation. These are very strange bedfellows, Ilan. I don't, I don't under, and I don't want to yeah. be, you know, I know she's done okay and I, I love her, I know her husband and they're, they're very nice, but they've done well and, and we, I hope we all do well. Um, we can't hear, but I, I want everyone to participate in the free market um, the benefits of the free market uh, as well. So I understand, but it just seems weird. 
Yeah, the part of the problem here, Joe, is that the existing rules that govern uh, financial disclosures and trading for, among lawmakers is about 10 years old. Business Insider did an investigation that found that something like 52 lawmakers actually violated those disclosure rules, and the penalty if you uh, if you don't follow them is actually very small, something like $200 on your very first violation. So the rules are complicated, they're sort of weakly enforced, the penalties aren't that strong to begin with, and so that's why there's this sort of call to action for more stringent regulations around what lawmakers can and cannot trade. They can't do insider trading, but even sometimes yeah. holding the stocks or holding an asset can present the appearance of a conflict of interest. It's a total quagmire. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, hope for anything chair of the House Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, on getting things done in Congress, like childcare. We can't necessarily say that everything is hunky-dory on the Hill, but um, I do think that there are still many things happening, some of which can continue to be bipartisan. The latest on the Washington agenda, right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. And we're back. This is Squawk Pod. 2022, beginning uh, without a lot of momentum for President Biden's nearly $2 trillion climate and education spending package. That's because uh, after a bipartisan group of lawmakers passed the president's infrastructure plan, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said he couldn't support the other piece of legislation known uh, as Build Back Better. That's something progressives had warned about, and it could spell trouble later uh, for them in the midterms, perhaps this year. Join us uh, to talk about the fate of Build Back Better and whether it could be brought back. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State. She is the chair of the Congressional uh, Progressive uh, Caucus. Congresswoman, it, it's really good to see you this morning. How, how are you? Good to have you on. Good morning. It is good to see you as well, Joe. Thanks for having me back on. You, you are very welcome. Congresswoman, how do we, in your view, what's the next step? We heard from Senator Manchin. Uh, you have urged President Biden to maybe go it alone with some executive action for some of the initiatives in Build Back Better. Can it be resurrected legislatively uh, with Senator Manchin, in your view, at this point? Joe, I believe it can. Uh, Senator Manchin did call me uh, after he gave that interview on Fox News. And you know, and we talked about the fact that, you know, the the bill that he had, the framework that he had agreed to uh, just a month before he had given his commitment to the president on that framework was a little bit different than the House bill that we passed. It had 
The House bill had a few more things in it that Senator Manchin had not agreed to. And typically in the legislative process, that's a discussion. You can take those things back out if you really can't get 50 votes. And I think in the end, our uh, view is that we can do Build Back Better, very close to the framework that Senator Manchin committed to the president on. So right now, we are in the midst of a big push on voting rights, as you know. And as soon as that is done, probably next week, our attention will turn back to Build Back Better. It has passed the House with all but one Democrat voting for it. Unfortunately, no Republicans, just like the American Rescue Plan, which was incredibly successful, popular, and helped our markets to continue and our economy to continue to grow. We're, we might have to do this alone, unfortunately, but it will provide universal childcare, universal pre-K, investments in housing. It will drive economic recovery, uh, continue to drive economic recovery, just as the American Rescue Plan did. So my hope is that we get it done in the next several weeks, um, certainly within the next month. Congresswoman, the, the state of the state, I guess, or the state of the union, or the state of uh, whatever you want to call in Congress uh, right now, I, I'm just wondering whether, and we have people from all, both sides of the aisle on here. We're always friendly. We're always talking. We like to try to, uh, to, to try to come to some consensus. That's what the American people want. But it just seems kind of poisoned right now uh, in, in Washington, D.C. And I'll just reference something that the president said yesterday, that Americans opposed to uh, the, the voting rights are, are domestic enemies, are, are essentially domestic enemies. In the past, he has said he would never question motive of his opponents, just, the, just their views. But I think we've gone away from where we just question the other side's uh, uh, opinions or policies, and we're actually questioning motive. Do you, do you think we're there, and is, is there any hope that we can come back from that, in your view? Well, I think that it is a really tough time, and I think a lot of it stems from the um, January 6th and the refusal of some of our colleagues to even say that that was an insurrection, that there were, you know, that that was the most violent attack on the United States Capitol since the War of 1812. I think that is where some of this stems from, the, uh, you know, the refusal to even admit that the president is the duly elected president of the United States. But that said, Joe, I can just tell you that there are a number of things that we continue to work with our, uh, our colleagues on across the aisle. But Sometimes, and voting rights is one, and unfortunately, Build Back Better, the American Rescue Plan, you know, we, we kind of laughed and said, no Republican voted for that, but everybody went back and bragged about how much money it brought into their district. That will be the case with Build Back Better as well. And so I think we can't necessarily say that everything is hunky-dory on the Hill, but um, I do think that there are still many things happening, some of which can continue to be bipartisan, like our antitrust bills are very bipartisan. Um, there are other places where we have a lot of commonality with our with our colleagues on the other side. But unfortunately, many of the big things right now um, are uh, partisan only because of the filibuster and the requirement that you need 10 additional votes in the Senate. If you didn't have that additional requirement, you could have bipartisan bills passing with two, three, four, five uh, Republican votes, and everybody would say, how great, this is a bipartisan bill. So I think that's sort of where we are. But um, I, I am a, a perpetual optimist in terms of how we get work done for the country that helps lower costs for Americans and creates opportunity for their lives. The uh, 
your viewpoint on how to improve Americans' lives. Uh, you have your viewpoint, and, and uh, I know that there are people on the other side of the aisle that, that probably have a different viewpoint, and that's, that's sort of where I'm going. Um, admittedly, Joe Manchin made 51, but there were also 50 other senators that were elected, duly elected from different places, and I know all politics are local. You're in Washington State. Um, but as narrow as the victory was in both the House, you lost some seats, Democrats did, and, and you needed a, a runoff election in Georgia to get to 50-50 uh, in the Senate. And it was a close uh, presidential race as well. These are vast changes that are important to you as a progressive, but people on the other side and a lot of their constituents thinks it's way too far, a, a bridge too far in terms of, of government intervention, uh, taxation, in terms of uh, government involvement in the private sector. You can understand uh, you know, how, how there is disagreement at this point, right, Congressman? Do you think you have the mandate to force these things through? Well, Joe, I think that's a really important point you're making, which is let's look at what the American people want. And I guarantee you that across the aisle, from Republican to Democrat, independent, people want to have affordable childcare. People want to have universal pre-K. People want to see the wealthiest pay their fair share, not more than their fair share, but they want to see the wealthiest individuals and corporations pay their fair share. These are remarkably popular across ideology. And what happens in Congress sometimes is that the people who are in Congress um, are not actually reflecting the viewpoints of the American people. I'll just give you one example on raising the minimum wage. Now, raising the minimum wage used to be seen as a very far left idea. It is no longer that, Joe. In states that elected Donald Trump, that went for Donald Trump, uh, you see the minimum wage passed uh, to increase the minimum wage. And yet, we have not been able to raise the federal minimum wage for so long. So I think we have to distinguish when we say, do people in every part of the political spectrum, do people agree with these ideas? This is not some crazy left-wing agenda. This is the agenda that Democrats ran and won on, and it is actually an agenda that the vast majority of it is supported by the American people, point by point, but also even if you look at uh, the overall legislation, talking about Build Back Better or the American Rescue Plan, people want to see better jobs, higher wages, and fair taxation, and that's really what Build Back Better does, lowers costs and uh, pays for it entirely by finally making the wealthiest corporations and individuals just pay their fair share. Not more than that, just their fair share. Congresswoman, we had the head of the Chamber of Commerce on yesterday, and she said that there are certainly bipartisan things that she thinks she would see broad support for, things like child care that the Chamber is advocating for, making sure that there are better child care policies so that workers can get back out to the workplace. What are we going to do about child care? What can we do about getting formerly incarcerated people who've paid their debt to society back to work? What can we do about increasing legal immigration into this country? And what are we going to do about training and education to get the skills up? Because clearly COVID is just showing us another side of this worker shortage problem that will really lead to increased and permanent inflation if we don't do the right things quickly what can get us to the other side and not just focus on this intra-party fighting or this political warfare, but to really figure out how we come together as a country at a time um, where we have big challenges. 
If there are areas where there are broad swaths of bipartisan support, why not tick these things off one by one instead of putting it all together in one big bill and saying it's all or nothing? Well, because of the, it's a great question, Becky, and it's because of the the 60 vote uh, threshold to even block something from being considered on the Senate floor. We have passed these bills in the House with a simple majority, but in the Senate, unfortunately, there is this filibuster rule, and that means we all twist ourselves into parliamentarian pretzels to try to make something a budget bill so that we can bypass the filibuster and go through a process called reconciliation. But why is it that we need to have one standard for things like taxes, which are only passed with a simple majority, and a completely different standard for things that involve universal childcare or pre-K. So that, I mean, that is the problem, unfortunately. And I do think that, um, you know, reforming the rules of the Senate so that we can just pass things with a simple majority would be the answer. I, I, I wasn't talking about bipartisanship within your party. I meant bipartisanship within both sides, which would mean you might be able to get more than 60 votes for some of these things. Well, I, I don't know why we have a 60-vote threshold if you want bipartisanship. We could have bipartisanship well, with a 55-vote threshold. And in fact, on taxes, as you know... But I, I'm the, just saying that there are probably some things where you would get more than 60 votes. Things like childcare, sure. I would assume that you'd be able to pull both sides of the aisle together. I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's become very difficult where, uh, unfortunately, I believe the other side has decided to block everything that um, that we do. And so I think... That is a real challenge, and here's the problem. We don't have time to spend another two years figuring out how we get women into the workplace. If you look at the statistics for jobs, you see that women have been pushed out of the workplace at remarkable, remarkable speed. And I was just talking to uh, one of our hospital CEOs yesterday in my district, and he was telling me that the healthcare industry, very reliant on the labor of women um, in that industry, has been really suffering because of all of the COVID, all of the stress, and the fact that a lot of the women don't have childcare. Um, now this hospital provided childcare, uh, but they couldn't do it forever. And we really need the government to invest in the things, get people back to work and get women back into the workforce. So we're not taking a decade uh, step back when we look at participation of women in the economy. Your party might not always be in charge, Congresswoman. I just, I don't know what might happen if, if, you know, without a filibuster, we could be sitting here a year from now and you might have a look on your face like, oh my God, what are these people going to do with only a simple majority? You've thought about that, right? I mean, are you sure we want to go there based on? I thought about that. And here's the thing. We already do it for taxes. So it's already a simple majority. For reconciliation. $3 trillion tax bill. So why can't we do it with the investments we need so that people right. can have better opportunity? All right. Congresswoman, it's good having you, as we said again, on, on Squawk Box this morning. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. Next on Squawk Pod, we're headed to China. CNBC's Eunice Yoon on the ground there where COVID cases are rising in the port city of Tianjin and authorities want to curb them. This zero-tolerance approach is going to be in place for quite some time. Not only are they looking ahead at, at the Olympics, but even before that, the Lunar New Year holiday is coming up. And already, authorities have been urging residents just to stay put. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
you can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Stand Andrew by. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. At least three cities in China are now facing lockdowns to try and combat, uh, combat COVID outbreaks, which is complicating an already strained supply chain. Eunice Yoon joins us right now with more. And um, Eunice, this is a pretty big deal if you start thinking about the millions of people who are now in lockdown at this point. Yeah, that's right. It's actually more like tens of millions that are in lockdown or in partial lockdown. Um, the uh, A lot of people now have several restrictions um, imposed on them, including here in Beijing. Uh, the COVID center that's behind me said that they're seeing a 25 percent surge in demand for tests because employers as well as officials are demanding these tests uh, for their daily work. Now, Omicron has been confirmed now in a third Chinese city, the port city of Dalian. Uh, the state media quite late today uh, reported that Dalian has two confirmed Omicron cases. Both of those are traced back to Tianjin, uh, where Omicron was first detected. Uh, Tianjin also confirmed another 93 cases and ordered businesses to close for a half day so that the city can could uh, conduct another mass round of testing of the 14 million people there. Anyang, which is a city in an electronics manufacturing area, also reported 65 new cases. Now, industrial zones um, near a Tianjin port uh, said on their social media account that their operations, as well as the operations of the port, are operating normally, uh, though the extent of the potential impact there, as well as in other parts of the global supply chain, are still a big question mark. Toyota said that its production in Tianjin has been halted. As for Dalian, this is a port that's quite important to American companies. It specializes in imported food, uh, such as U.S. soybeans. Also, Intel, Coca-Cola, Goodyear all have factories in Dalian. Uh, and then in case there's any question mark as to how uh, seriously the Chinese government takes uh, their uh, zero COVID um, approach, Dalian Court today sentenced three port workers to up to five years in jail for breaching COVID protocols, such as wearing a mask or protective gear. Guys? Eunice, um, obviously you've got the Olympics coming up in quick order. We're talking about three weeks till the start of the Olympics there. Um, the zero t uh, tolerance policy is something that the Chinese have kept since the very beginning, going back to 2019, 2020, when this was first starting um, is that is it something that at this point they are going to continue with that policy because they want to make sure the Olympics can still go off? Or is this something that is expected to continue uh, indefinitely and even beyond the Olympics in terms of how they try and protect and stop COVID from spreading when the rest of the world seems to have moved on to reopening and kind of trying to deal the best they can? Yeah, well, that's the big question. But I think um, as you're illustrating, um, the main point is that this uh, zero tolerance approach is going to be in place for quite some time. Um, not only are they looking ahead at, at the Olympics, but even before that, the Lunar New Year holiday is coming up. And already authorities, not only here in Beijing, but all across the country, have been urging residents just to stay put 
Um, as you well know, the Lunar New Year is a major holiday in China. It's like the biggest human migration on the planet. People go home for the holidays. It's like Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's all, all wrapped into one. So, so it's an important holiday, but people are uh, not probably going to be able to go home uh, for a second year running uh, because of all these concerns about the spread, especially with Omicron so highly contagious. Yeah, it's so highly contagious that it's hard to believe the incredibly low numbers. If you have a handful of cases, it's hard to assume that you can nip it in the bud, even if you are taking extreme measures and testing pretty frequently. Yeah, that's right. And also, uh, there, there still hasn't been any confirmation on the exact source and also how much it's really spread in the community. And I think that's what is uh, worrying uh, the government here, just because you are hearing about all of these different cases. And, and as you said, it's, um, you know, it is quite highly contagious. And even though the 85 percent of the population has been vaccinated, we still don't really know exactly how uh, how effective uh, China's vaccines, which are the only ones that you could get here, are against Omicron. You said that there was demand um, from from workers, not just from the companies themselves, but from workers wanting access to tests. Is testing difficult to come by there as it has been here? No, actually, it is. Uh, it's quite easy to get tests here, um, and they're actually not as exp they're not expensive. I think it, that in, in the U.S. there's been a debate about how expensive they've been, but they but uh, the, the COVID test can be as as little as about a dollar ten cents here. Um, sometimes they can be expensive, and expensive is considered maybe about forty three dollars. But the government, um, one of the the great things I would say about uh, and the the strong points of the Chinese government is that when they put in place a logistical system where they really want to roll things out quickly, they can. So, um, so when it comes to the COVID testing protocols, um, they're very, very solid. You know, all the video that we've been watching shows people getting swabbed um, in their throats instead of nasally. Is that how it's been throughout? Or is that a new development as, as we learned that Omicron uh, tends to, to live a little more in the throat than in the nasal passages? That, oh, you know, I've, I've seen the, the, the throat as well as the nasal passages, um, you probably heard that there were uh, cases with uh, anal swabs as well, which were supposed to be quite sensitive. Uh, that hasn't been done in the greater population. Um, but no, but, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's been the throat. Probably easier to do when you're just walking into a center like the one behind me. Especially if you're standing outside. Um, Eunice, thank you very much. We know that we're going to continue <laughs> to keep hearing about this, and we appreciate your staying on top of it for us. We'll see you soon. That was new for me, Becky. I had not <laughs> heard that. I don't know if I'm if I'm reading other the wrong newspapers. That I, I, that was news to me. We, news was just made on this air, at least to me, this morning. New to me. Makes the throat so, look a lot more um, palatable. Yeah. yeah. It, it, where is that? Where is that? <laughs> now I'm thinking of the newlywed game. Not where would you do it? I understand where that area is, but where would you do it in? Like you said, Becky. I mean. I guess you'd have Hopefully to go not in, in the, the line at the yeah, office. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't even. Yeah, exactly. And and did you? Eunice is so so cute. She goes, you know, and it's a very sensitive test. No kidding. Woo! I mean that uh, sensitive. How? I mean that yeah. is. Uh, oh my god. Uh, I think it was news to all of us. Single my, use. My too. kids would say yeah, and be like, was, yeah. I won't even say it. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave it alone. <laughs> no, please do. Good idea.
And that's the podcast for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your thoughts on Twitter at Squawk CNBC or rate this podcast. Write a review both on Apple Podcasts. You can do that right on your phone. Thank you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.